We're going to turn in God's Word now, and we're going to think this morning about faith, uh, and we're going to think about kind of what faith, like is in that exclamation, what faith, and also verses what faith. Um, And I wonder this morning where uh, where would you be in between these two? Maybe you're in the middle. Maybe you're in the or. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you sometimes you feel that you fluctuate between the two. Um, But I pray this morning as we study God's word that that each of us will be able to say, you know, what faith, what faith I have in Jesus. So let's turn to God's Word. We're going to read in Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 14. Uh, We're going to read in verse 22 down to verse 33, and that's on page 820 of the Pew Bibles, and it'll be on the, the screens before you as well. So let's read God's Word together. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. Then they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid." And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his holy word this morning. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 in the verses before we read this morning. And straight after this, it's not as in like the the next day we read it's immediately. This is just on the back of, on the tailcoats of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus immediately sends his disciples into a boat to go to the other side, and Jesus retreats, and he goes, and he prays. The word in here in verse 22, where we read, immediately he made, um, that's not like he gave them an option. The, the word made here in, in, in the original language is like he kind of insisted that they went. He, he, he genuinely made them get into the boat. They didn't really have an option here. He insisted that they go away in the boat, and, and which is quite a bizarre thing. If you can imagine the scene, they've just seen what they've seen. Uh, they, they've, they, they've witnessed this amazing miracle, and Jesus is like literally dragging them into a boat to go to the other side. And maybe you're asking, why, why would Jesus do that? Well, one thing we have to remember, friends, is that there is always a reason for why God does things. There's always a reason for why God does things. And sometimes in the moment, maybe we, we don't know, and maybe we, on this side of eternity, we'll never understand the why. But we have to trust that God is doing things and that he does them for a reason. And often we can, each of us can say that we, underst- we, can say that we, we don't understand them as they're happening. Maybe sometimes that's a prayer that you ask, why God? Why, why is this happening? And actually, maybe you'll never understand why, but we have to trust that above all, that God is sovereign and that 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 promise that we read in the New Testament that is true, that he's working all things together 
for the good of those who love him and who are called, in, called according um, to the purposes of Christ Jesus, his son, that God has a plan and that he's working. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples? They've just witnessed Jesus do this incredible miracle where, they f- where he's fed over 5,000 people because the 5,000 would have just been the men that were counted. That wasn't including the women and the children. So he's just, they've just witnessed this miraculous feeding with very, very little food. And then they've not even had a chance to digest the, the food that they've eaten or digest what they've just seen and witnessed. And before they know it, you know, Jesus is like literally insisting, making them get into this boat to head across to the other side. And I can just imagine the, the kind of looking about and thinking, you know, the confused look on their face. Do you know, what, what's going on here, Jesus? Is Jesus like dragging them and putting them into this boat? Why, why are you doing this? But an important principle that we need to learn in this life, friends, is that God is in control and there's always a reason why. We read in John's account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 these words. Perceiving then, this is Jesus, perceiving then that the crowd were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. There's your reason why. That's why Jesus made them get into the boat. There was no time to dilly-dally. There was no time to waste. Hurry up, disciples, disciples, get in that boat. I need to get away from here because they're about to come and make me, force me to be king. And the king that they want is not the king that I've come to be for them. In the moment... Friends, we might not understand what is happening or why it's happening, but we have to trust that God has a bigger plan and a bigger picture, and we have to trust Him. And I know that many of you talk about how you have been looking back over your life over the last number of weeks, months, years, and actually that you're beginning to see God's hands and fingerprints all over what you've gone through. And a word that I'm hearing a lot being used by people in our congregation is not coincidence, but God incidents. There's lots of you nodding. You know that that's true. You've seen God at work, and there's things that have maybe happened, and in the moment you couldn't understand why these things were taking place, but here it has led you. And actually, as you look back, you can see God's fingerprints all over what you've gone through. Even though you didn't know he was working and he was there in that moment, he has a plan and there's a reason why. This is why Jesus makes them get into the boat. Because actually Jesus had to get away from there. And as they go across in the boat, we read this in verse 23 uh, and then reading down a wee bit to kind of verse 25. As they go across the boat, Jesus has gone up the mountain to pray. Um, Jesus is alone up the mountain praying by himself and off the disciples go uh, across the boat. And I don't know about you, but it feels like every time I'm reading the Gospels, these guys are caught in a storm. It seems to be the case all the time that they've not checked the weather app on their phone or something. They're forever getting caught in storms and Jesus forever having to come and save the day. And these guys were fishermen. I just can't help but think, you don't look around you and think, hang on, there's a storm coming or something's going to happen. But here they are, they're caught in a storm again and they're making way against the wind and the waves and the boat is getting beaten up and they are really struggling to get to the other side. The first time that this happened, that they're caught in a storm, is back in chapter 8. I mean, if you remember back to that passage of Scripture, Jesus is asleep 
in the boat while they are going across. But this time, Jesus isn't in the boat with them. Now, maybe my mind thinks different to the rest of these 12 men, but I'm thinking, why don't you try what Jesus tried? <laughs> why don't you try what Jesus did? Remember that time that we, 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 we were caught in the storm and Jesus stood up and he spoke in the power of God? You know, is that something that we could have done, but maybe they couldn't, maybe they didn't understand that yet, but that's what goes through my mind. But here at this time, they're alone in the boat. Jesus isn't with them. He's up a mountain praying. And actually, what we read in Mark's account of this story is that Jesus sees He's up the mountain, but he sees that they're making way really painfully and they're caught in the storm and he comes to them. And again, if you think back a few months, we, we looked at the Names of God series and I don't know if you can remember the, the names that we, we'd looked at and one of them was Elroy, the God who sees. And Jesus sees that they are stuck in this boat and he comes to them. And maybe that's what you need to do to be reminded of this morning is that, that God is still the one who sees and he sees what's happening and he's watching you. And you might feel that you're alone and you're in that storm by yourself, but you're not. Jesus sees exactly what's taking place. These disciples, they're terrified again. They don't know what's going to happen. And as they go across this lake, the storm rises and we read in verse 24 and in verse 25 that the wind and waves are battering against the, the boat and they're struggling to get across. And here we have Jesus. He comes walking towards them on the water. He comes walking towards them on the water. And what we need to remember here, friends, is that what Jesus is showing them is also what he's telling them. He's showing them who he is, that he has power over nature. That actually, this is the world that has been created through him. He's showing his power over nature. Now, what we read here is that Jesus, in verse 26, but when the disciples saw him um, walking on the sea. Jesus has just walked to them on, on the water. The, they're, they're not just kind of in a little pond, you know, like at um, Rook and Glen. You know, it's not a tiny little pond that they're in. And it's not as if Jesus is standing on the shoreline uh, or anything like that. We, what we read, the Greek tells us that there were many stadia away from the shoreline. And a stadium equaled about 600 feet. And in John's account, what we read, and this is, this is another lesson for us, that when we read the Gospels, you know, compare the accounts that the disciples, that the Gospel writers tell us, because each of them captured it from a different perspective, and we can learn things through them as we, as we read them and, and compare them against each other. That John tells us that they've rode about 25 stadias out, which is equivalent to about three or four miles. This is how far out they are in the middle of the water. And Jesus walks on water to them about three or four miles in distance. So they were proper out in the middle of this loch. They were struggling big time. And what this shows us is that Jesus wasn't just standing in the shallows. It wasn't Jesus didn't just wade out up to kind of waist high and shout them. He'd walked out to them on the sea. 
How's that possible? It's impossible, isn't it? That Jesus walked on water? Well, it is for us. And this is where we come back to a question that each of us need to ask ourselves, friends. Are we trying to get God to fit into our story? Or are we coming to be part of his? Are we trying to fit God into our lives and our story and, and kind of shape him and mold him into a God that we can understand and that, that kind of fits our own thinkings and our own kind of persuasions and things like that? If you're doing that, you're creating an idol. But actually, what we're called to do, friends, is to come to him and not try and get him to fit into our lives. But what we do is we come and we offer him our lives. God, I want to be part of your story. I want to be part of what you're doing. For friends, nothing is impossible for God. And we need to be aware that we don't allow our doubt or our skepticism or, or, or anything like that to try and rationalize and wrestle with Scripture so that we can you know, digest it in a way that's comfortable for us. We either believe that this is the Word of God or it's not. And what we're reading here is impossible in human terms, but nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. He spoke the world into being. There was nothing. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And what Jesus is showing us here is that same principle that he has power over creation, that he has power over nature, that he has power over physics. Do you believe the Bible? I remember hearing someone say, I have no bother believing Jonah was swallowed by the whale. I'd still believe you if you told me that it was the whale that was swallowed by Jonah. <laughs> I think I'd be the same. If, someone, if the Bible told me that it was Jonah that swallowed the big fish, I'd believe it. And you might say, well, that's because you're foolish. But it's because I trust the word of God. I believe in it. It is the power to save. So as Jesus miraculously walks in the water towards his disciples, about three or four miles in distance, he begins to come into eyesight. And what we read in verse 26 is this, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. It is a ghost. I don't know how you would respond. I don't know how I would respond. But what we see is, again, the opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of faith is fear. They should have been filled with faith and gone, yes, Jesus, you've come to save the day. But actually, that's not their response. Their response is, oh, my days, there's someone walking on the water. It must be a ghost. They were terrified, and they cried out in fear. And part of this is, it boils down to this very simple principle that so often we miss when God is at work. They missed 
who it was that was walking towards them. And a prayer that I've started praying is, God, let me see when you are at work. Let me see when you're at work. Let me see, God. Let me discern. Let me understand, God, that, that it's you that is doing these things. It's you that's working in my life. It's you that's providing everything I need. It's you, Lord. But so often we miss it. We miss when God's at work because we try to rationalize it in our own heads, and that's what they do. They try to rationalize what they're seeing and what they're encountering and fit it into a way that they could explain. I wonder how often we miss Jesus at work or we miss when God is intervening. I pray that God would give us eyes to see and the gift for discernment to discern when he is in our midst. And Jesus immediately speaks to their fear And he says to them in verse 27, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Again, don't miss what Jesus is saying here. He's not only just showing them who he is by walking on water, showing his power over creation, but he's now telling them by this statement, it is I. Another way to translate that is, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Now, where else do we recognize that statement, I am? Well, we know the I am sayings, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, and so on, so on. But actually, it originates back in the Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament, this is why we need to know our Old Testament, because it is important and it informs us about who Jesus was and why he came. Where else do we read this statement and this declaration about I am. Well, it is when God reveals his very name to Moses by the burning bush. I am who I am, where we get the name Yahweh from. And here in this passage where we've read in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, we have Jesus's most clear self-revelation that he is God, that he is divine. I am. I am. And then we have this incredible encounter and exchange between Peter and Jesus that we're going to look at for a few moments together this morning. And to this, so this is the context for what, we've just, what we're just about to read, is that Jesus has walked in the water. They've been filled with fear. He's shown his power over physics and nature and creation. And then he is declared, do not be afraid. You don't want to be filled with terror. I am. I am God, Jesus is saying here. I am God. So it's not a surprise then that the conclusion in verse 23, in verse 33 is what? Truly you are the son of God. That's that's why they get to that conclusion because this is the, 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 the very lesson that we're learning in this encounter is about who Jesus is, that he is God himself. He is the second person in the Trinity. He is the word made flesh. He is the son of God. And to this, we have Peter's incredible um, statement in verse 28. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And what we see here is faith. Faith replaces the fear that was in Peter's life. In response to Jesus' declaration, we have this incredible encounter between Jesus and Peter. 
They've just heard Jesus say who he is and showing who he is. And to this, Jesus says, Peter says, sorry, if it is you, command me to come to you. And actually, it's a little bit of an unfortunate um, translation that we have in the English because it makes it sound like, well, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, I want you to prove it to me. That isn't what Peter is saying here. That is not at the heart of a statement. Peter's not saying, all right, Jesus, then prove it. If you're saying you're God, you need to prove it to me. But rather what Peter says here and the heart behind what he's saying is, since it's you, please enable me to do the very same thing that you've just done. Since you are who you say you are, not prove to me who you are, but Jesus, I believe what you've just said, and because of that, enable me to do what you've just done. So actually with Peter, we wouldn't say, well, what faith? We'd say, what faith? We wouldn't question his faith. Actually, we're amazed by it. This faith in response to who Jesus has just declared who he is. And I wonder which one you would settle on this morning would, about yourself. If you were looking at your own life, would you say, well, what faith? I don't really have it. And I've heard all these things, but I don't know how to respond to what I hear Sunday by Sunday and as I read God's word. Or would you say, you're over here and say, what faith? Jesus, you filled my life. I thank you that I can respond to who you are and who you say you are. And actually in response to who Jesus is declaring himself to be on the water, but here also in Sandy Hills, we have a response to make. What is your response going to be? What faith? Or what faith? Jesus, enable me. And each one of us, we have to pray that. And maybe this morning you think, well, you know, I've got a teeny weeny little bit of faith. That's enough. Because it's not about the size of your faith, but it's about who you place your faith in. What is faith? Well, we believe that we're saved not by works, not through anything that we can achieve, but through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Faith is a confidence and a trust in God. And the object of our faith is God and his promise. Faith, friends, in the most simple way, is belief in action. Jesus, I believe who you said you are. Enable me to walk in the water with you. It's belief in action. Faith takes hold of what God says and seeks to walk in it. That's what Peter does here. Jesus, I hear who you've just said you are. And since it's true, allow me to do the same as you. And Jesus says, come come. And he says the same thing this morning to you. I'm de- Jesus says, I declare that I am the son of God and I'm the savior of this world. And to you, he gives the same invitation as he gave to Peter, come. We live by faith, not by sight. But friends, faith is never blind. Faith is always in response to God. It never goes before him but is always in response to him. That's why it's not a blind leap of faith. We're responding to who God says he is and what he's done. And actually, what I'd never properly noticed is that the storm is still going on in the moment. Jesus hasn't stilled the storm yet. The wind and waves are still battering against Peter and battering against the boat. 
I don't want to just see if you trust me when things are good, God says, but even when the waves are crashing, even when the wind is battering against me, step out and believe who I am, Jesus says. Trust me. Peter doesn't say, which is often how I respond, well, Jesus, you know, I hear what you say, but wait a minute, I need to sort this stuff out. I need to clean the boat up a wee bit. I need to get the nets folded. I need to wait till the weather improves a little bit and, you know, come back in a couple of days' time when maybe the, 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 the scenery is a bit better and the, the wind isn't as strong and the waves aren't as choppy. But even in the middle of the storm, Peter says, let me come, and Jesus says, come. And Sunday by Sunday, Jesus, by his spirit and through his word in this place, invites you to come and to come to him, even in the middle of your mess, even in the middle of your storm, even in the middle of the stress and the anxiety and the heartbreak and the confusion and the hurt and the disappointment. Jesus says, I see the storms, but I'm the son of God. I'm the savior of the world. Come to me. And what we need to do, friends, is respond to that in faith. Enable me, Jesus. Enable me. And what will we do with that invitation? Do we decline it again? Friends, let yesterday be the last day where we could say about ourselves, what faith? Let today be the first day where we could speak over ourselves, what faith? What faith I have in a mighty Savior. Some of us are holding onto the boat and maybe we've got one leg over. (laughs) Maybe we've got one. I don't know if Peter jumped out or whether they had to help him out or whatever. Maybe some of us were were at the edge and we've seen Jesus. We've seen seen who he is. We've felt his presence. We've heard his word and we're beginning to believe it. But we're still holding onto the security of that boat. Friends, you need to step out. You don't need to be convinced about Jesus. You need to be converted. Your faith has to get your feet wet. Your faith has to get your feet wet. You have to step out of the boat. You have to respond to him. Faith is belief in action. Faith isn't just knowing stuff in your head. Faith is putting into practice what we believe. And it comes by hearing and seeing and keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And just as we finish this morning, two very quick things. What happens when Peter begins to take his eyes off Jesus? He begins to sink. He sees the wind, he sees the waves, he begins to sink. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you're sinking. What I say to you is get your eyes fixed back upon Jesus. Stop looking around you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and let the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then lastly, faith leads to this. Faith leads to worship. Verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. This is where faith leads us to. This is where God wants to get us to, to be a people who believe him, who respond to him, but worship him. Faith makes us a people who hear Christ and who respond. Faith makes us a people who proclaim who he is. Truly, you are the son of God. And faith makes us a people who worship him 
in spirit and in truth. Amen.